On this episode of Five Things, we're going to get high in the clouds with a primer on using the cloud for all things post-production. This is going to be a monster episode, so we better get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Five Things, a web series dedicated to answering the five burning tech questions that you have about technologies and workflows in the media creation space, plus tech stuff I dig and how it's used. I'm still your host, Michael Thomas. I hate the name, but I love the tech. The raw horsepower and flexibility found in the cloud is increasingly becoming a larger part of post-production. But where exactly does it fit in, and how can you start using it? Fear not, my friends, I've got this handy-dandy guide on what is possible today for you to start using the cloud on your next project. We in the Hollywood Post industry are risk-averse. Yes, it's true, my family. Look in the mirror, take a good hard look, and realize this truism. Take the hit. This is mainly because folks who make a living in post-production rely on predictable timetables and airtight outcomes. Deviating from this causes a potentially missed delivery or air date, additional costs on an already tight budget, and quite frankly, more stress. Now, the cloud is still newish, and virtually all post-production tasks can be accomplished on-premises. So why on earth should we adopt something we can't see, let alone touch? You got the touch. You got the power. Incorporating the cloud into your workflow gives us a ton of advantages. For one, we're not limited to the one or two computers available to us locally. This gives us what I like to call parallel creation, where we can multitask across multiple computers simultaneously. Powerful computers. I'm talking exaflops, zettaflops, and someday, yodaflops of processing power, and that have more flopping power than that overclocked Frank computer sitting in your closet. Yeah, I said it. Flopping power. Flopping power. It's also mostly affordable and getting cheaper very quickly. To be clear, I'm not telling you that post-production is to be done only on-premises or only in the cloud. Most workflows will always incorporate both. That being said, the cloud isn't for everyone. If you have more time than money, well, then relying on your aging local machines may be the best economical choice. If your internet connection is more 1999 than 2019, then the time spent uploading and downloading media may be prohibitive. This is one reason I'm really jazzed about 5G, but that's another episode. Now, let's look at some scenarios where the cloud may benefit your post-production process. All right, let's start small. I guarantee all of you have used some form of cloud transfer service and are storing at least something in the cloud. This can take the form of file sharing and sync applications like Dropbox, transfer sites like WeTransfer, enterprise solutions like Aspera, Signiant, or File Catalyst, or even that antiquated, nearly 50-year-old format known as FTP. Short of sending your footage via snail mail or handcuffing it to someone while they hop on a plane, using the internet to store and transfer data is a common solution. The cloud offers numerous benefits. First is what we call the five nines, or 99.999% availability. This means that the storage in the cloud is always available and with no errors, with a max downtime of about five and a half minutes a year. In the cloud, five nines is often considered the bare minimum. 
Companies like Backblaze claim 11 nines. This is considerably more robust than, let's say, that spinning disk you have sitting on your shelf. In fact, almost a quarter of all spinning hard drives fail in their first four years. Yeah, I completely get the fact that the subscription or rental model is a highly divisive subject. And at the end of the day, well, that's what the cloud storage model is. But you can't deny that the cost you get to spread out over the years, also known as OPEX or operating expenditure, is a bit more flexible and robust than the one-time buyout of storage, also known as CAPEX or capital expenditure. Which brings us to the next point. What are the differences between the various cloud storage options? Well, that deserves its own five things episode. But the two main points you need to know is that the pricing model covers availability, or how quickly you can access the storage and read and write from it, and throughput, or how fast you can upload and download to it. Slower storage is cheaper, and normal internet upload and download speeds are in line with what the cheap storage can provide. Fast storage, that is, storage that gives you gigabits per second for cloud editing with high IOPS, can be several hundred dollars a month per usable terabyte. This is why cloud storage is often used as a transfer medium, or as a backup or archive solution, rather than a real-time editing platform. However, with the move to more cloud-based applications, the need for faster storage will be necessary. With private clouds and data lakes popping up all over, the cost for cloud storage will continue to drop, much like the hard drive's cost per terabyte has dropped over the past several years. Cloud storage also has the added benefit of allowing work outside of your office and collaborating in real time without having to be within the four walls of your company. Often, high-end firewalls and security are, well, high-priced, and your company may not have that infrastructure or the IT talent to take on such an endeavor. Relying on the cloud for that security is built into your monthly cloud price. Plus, most security breaches or hacks are due to human error or social engineering, not a fault of the security itself. Cloud storage also abstracts the physical location of your stored content from your business, making unauthorized access and physical attacks that much harder. The next logical step in utilizing cloud resources is to offload the heavy lifting of your project that requires flopping power. Flopping power. The smart folks working in animation and VFX have been doing this for years. Rendering 100,000 frames, about an hour's worth of material, depending on your frame rate, across hundreds or thousands of processors is going to be finished much faster than across a handful of processors that you have locally. It's also a hell of a lot cheaper to spin up machines as needed than buying all the horsepower outright for your suite. Before you begin, you need to determine what you're creating your models in and if cloud rendering is even an option. Typical creative environments that support cloud rendering workflows include tools like 3ds Max, Maya, Houdini, among several others. Next is identifying the CSP, or cloud service provider. In this case, the big three, Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services, or Google Cloud that support a render farm in the cloud. Once you have your CSP selected, a user establishes a secure connection to that CSP, usually via a VPN or a virtual private network. A VPN adds an encrypted layer of security between your machine and the CSP. It also allows a direct pipe to send and receive data to your local machines and your CSP. From here, a queuing and render management software is needed. 
This is what schedules the renders across multiple machines and ensures each machine is getting the data it needs to crunch in the most efficient way possible. Deadline and Tractor are popular options. What this software also does is orchestrate media movement between on-premises, the storage staging area before the render, and where the rendered media ends up. Next, the render farm machines run specialized software to render your chosen sequence. This can be V-Ray, Arnold, RenderMan, among many others. Once these frames are rendered and added back to the collective sequence, the file is delivered. I know, this can get daunting, which is why productions traditionally have a VFX or animation pipeline developer. They devise and optimize the workflows so costs are kept down, but deadlines are still hit. No movie is ever finished. It just gets released. This hybrid methodology obviously blends creation and artistry on-premises, with heavy lifting done in the cloud. However, there is a more all-in-one solution, and that's doing everything in the cloud. The VFX artist works with a virtual machine in the cloud, which has all of the flopping power, flopping power immediately available. The application and media are directly connected to the virtual machine. Companies like Bebop Technology have been doing this with apps like Blender, Maya, 3ds Max, After Effects, and more. Disclaimer, I work for Bebop because I love their tech. Transcoding, on the other hand, is a much more common way of using the horsepower of the cloud. As an example, ever seen that processing message on YouTube? Yeah, that's YouTube transcoding the files you've uploaded to various quality formats. How this can be beneficial for you are for your deliverables. In today's vast VOD landscape, creating multiple formats for various outlets is commonplace. Each VOD provider has the formats they prefer and often are not shy about rejecting your file. Don't take it personally. Often their playout and delivery systems function based on the files they receive, being in a particular and exact format. The hitch here is metadata. Just using flapping power, don't flap yourself. To flip the file doesn't deliver all of the ancillary data that more and more outlets want. This can be captioning, various languages or alt angles, descriptive text, color information, and more. Metadata resides in different locations within the file, whether it be an MP4, MOV, MXF, IMF, or any other of the container formats. Many outlets also ask for specialized sidecar XML files. I cannot overstate how important this metadata mapping is and how often this is overlooked. We have a ton of ground to cover here, so I'll be fairly topical. However, a future Five Things episode will certainly dive in even deeper. It means buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. Audio and video editing, let alone audio mixing and video grading and finishing, are the holy grail for cloud computing and post-production. Namely, because these processes require human interaction at every step. Add an edit, a keyframe, or a fader touch, all require the user to have constant and repeatable communication with the creative tool. Cloud computing, if not done properly, can add unacceptable latency, as the user needs to wait for the key press locally to be reflected remotely. This can be infuriating for creatives. A tenth of a second can mean the difference between creativity and carnage. There are a few ways to tackle editing when not all of the hardware, software, or media is local to you. And sometimes you can use multiple approaches together for a hybrid approach. First, we have the private cloud, which can be your own little data center. 
serving up the media as live proxy streams to a remote creative with a typical editing machine. True remote editing. Next, have the all-in approach. Have everything, and I mean absolutely everything, virtualized in the cloud. The software application, the storage, and you access it all through a basic computer or what we call a zero client. Lastly, we have the hybrid approach. Serve up media in the cloud to a watered-down web page-based editor on your local machine. Each have their pros and cons. Both Avid and Adobe have had versions of an on-premises server serving up proxies to remote editing systems for many years. The on-prem server, a private cloud for all intents and purposes, serves out proxy streams of media for use natively within an Avid Media Composer or Adobe Premiere Pro system connected remotely. Adobe called it Adobe Anywhere, and today the application is nowhere. The expensive product was shelved after a few years. Avid, however, is still doing this today, using a mix of many Avid solutions, including the product formerly known as Interplay, now called Media Central, plus a few add-on modules, along with a Media Composer Cloud Remote license. It's expensive, usually over $100,000. Back to Adobe, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention third-party asset management systems that carry on the Adobe Anywhere approach. Solutions like EditMate from Arvato Bertelsmann or Curator from IPV are options, but are based around their enterprise asset management systems, so don't expect the price tag to be anything but enterprise. Next is the all-in cloud approach, meaning your NLE and all of the supporting software tools and hardware and storage are running in a VM, a virtual machine, in a nearby data center. This brings you the best of both worlds. Your local machine is simply a window into the cloud-hosted VM, which brings you all the benefits of the cloud, presented in a familiar way, a computer desktop. And you don't have the expensive internal infrastructure to manage. This is tricky, though, as creatives need low latency, and geographical distance can be challenging if not done right. A few companies are accomplishing this, using robust screen share protocols and nearby data centers. Avid has Media Composer and Nexus running on Azure and will be available with Avid's new Edit On Demand product. Bebop Technology is accomplishing the same thing, but with dozens of VFX and editorial apps, including Avid and Premiere. Disclaimer, I still work for Bebop because their technology is the shit. Some companies have investigated a novel approach. Why not let creatives work in a web browser to ensure cross-platform availability and to work without the proprietary nature that all NLEs inherently have? This is a gutsy approach, as most creatives prefer to work within the tools they've become skilled in. However, less intensive creative tasks, like string outs or pulling selects, performed by users who may not be full-time power editors is an option. Avid adds some of this functionality into their newer editorial management product. Another popular choice for web browser editing is Blackbird, formerly known as Foreseen by Forbidden Technology. This paradigm is probably the weakest for you pro editors out there. I don't know about you, but I wanna work in the tools I've spent years getting better at. Audio, my first love, has some way to go. While basic audio in an NLE can be accomplished with the methods I just outlined, emulating pro post audio tools can be challenging. Audio is measured in samples. Audio sampled at 48K is actually 48,000 individual samples a second. Compare this to 24 to 60 frames a second for video, and you can see why precision is needed when working with it. This is one reason the big dog companies don't yet sanction running their apps in the cloud. 
Creative work with latency by remote machines at the sample level makes this a clunky and ultimately unrewarding workflow. And he is most displeased with your apparent lack of progress. Pro Tools Cloud is sorta hybrid, allowing near real-time collaboration of audio tracks and projects. However, the audio processing and editing is still performed locally. On to finishing and color grading in the cloud. Often these tasks require a ton of horsepower, and you'd think the cloud would be great for that, and it will be someday. These processes normally require the high-res or the source media, not proxies. This means the high-res media has to be viewed by the finishing or color grade artist. This leaves us with one or two unacceptable conditions. One, cloud storage that can also play the high-res content is prohibitively expensive, and two, there isn't a way to transmit high-res media streams in real time to be viewed and thus graded without unacceptable visual compression. But NDI, you cry! Yes, my tech lover, we'll cover that in another episode. While remote grading with cloud media is not quite there, remote viewing is a bit more manageable, and we'll cover that now. Review and approve is one of the greatest achievements of the internet era for post-production. Leveraging the internet and data centers to house your latest product for feedback is now commonplace. This can be something as simple as pushing to YouTube or Vimeo or shooting someone a Dropbox link. While this has made collaboration without geographic borders possible, most solutions rely on asynchronous review and approve. That is, you push a file somewhere, you wait, someone watches it, you wait, and then they give feedback. Real-time collaboration or synchronous review and approve, meaning all of the creative stakeholders are all watching the same thing and at the same time is a bit harder to do. As I mentioned earlier, Real-time, high-fidelity video streaming can cause artifacts. Out-of-sync audio, reduced frame rates, and all of this can take the user out of the moment. This is where more expensive solutions that are more in line with video conferencing surface. Popular examples include SohoNet's Clearview Flex, Streambox, or the newer Evercast solution. Now, NDI holds a great deal of promise. And as I already said, we'll cover that in another episode. Stop saying that! Back to non-real-time asynchronous review and approve. The compromises with working in an asynchronous fashion are slowly being eroded away by the bells and whistles on top of the basic premise of sharing a file with someone who isn't local to you. Frame.io is dominating in the space with plugins and extensions for access from right within your NLE, a desktop app for fast media transfers, plus their web page review and approve process, which is by far the best out there. WireDrive and Collaborate are other popular choices, also offering web page review and approve options. I'm also a very big fan of having your asset management tied into your asynchronous review and approve process. This allows permitted folks to see even more content and have any changes or notes tracked within one application. Many enterprise dams have this functionality. A non-enterprise favorite of mine is CatDV, who has these tools built in as well as a Comey by North Shore Automation, which has an even slicker implementation and the ability to run in the cloud. As a bonus cloud tool, I'm also a big fan of Ncrawl, an online site that generates credit crawls for your projects without the traditional visual jitteriness from your NLE and the inevitable problems of 37 credit revisions. The cloud will play a massive part in post-production moving forward, 
so expect more videos as cloud technology changes. Do you have more cloud concerns other than just these five questions? Ask me in the comments section. Also, please subscribe and share this tech goodness with the rest of your techie friends. It's also a great holiday dinner table topic. A heartfelt thank you to everyone who reached out via text or email or shared my last personal video. It means more than you'll know. Until the next episode, learn more, do more. Thanks for watching.